Hi, everyone. It is so good to be back here with you this week. I took a break from the podcast last week, and I want to share with you why, though it may not be so much of a surprise. So we are now in June of 2020, and the world is turned on its head in ways that for some people feels like the end of the world, and for many of us, it does feel like the beginning and in the world that uh, sorry the year that we needed this absolutely is the year we needed in our in our country in our world it is the year of waking up it is the year of breaking open it is the year of breaking down in order for the cracks to be so wide so vast so deep that we fall into them and realize how deep they go and how much work we have to do and we are we are all being woken up to that so with that said we've had these riots happening we've had the murder of George Floyd and we are having so many um, resources for the systemic racism that is alive still today alive and well in our country that many of us did not know about and we're now being educated Um, I will speak for myself. The past seven days, I've taken a break from posting on social media on my feed, and I used that time to see all of the people of color's accounts who were teaching about systemic racism and sharing with us, enlightening with us how deep it runs in our country, and it has woken me up. I watched 13th on Netflix. If you have not seen that, that's number one. I would say go do that right now. Um, number two, this woman, her name is Rachel Ricketts, has this course called Spiritual Activism 101. I highly recommend that as well. And I have a, a, a long list, thanks to Rachel on her website, of different resources and ways that we can support. Uh, I'm, this episode is not going to be the episode that I get into this, but I wanted to make sure I had um, an intro that covered this and 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 acknowledged the movement that is going on right now and share with you that I have done deep work, not nearly as deep as it should be and will be, but I have done work to look at how I myself am racist because as Rachel says, it is not a question of whether or not you're racist. It's a question of how. And I've been looking at the how of how have I been benefiting from white privilege and white supremacy and not speaking up to change that this system in all the ways that I can. And I've seen some things. I've definitely seen some things that I have fallen into. So moving forward on the podcast, what you can expect is more conversations about racism. My content of the podcast being about relationships and devotional love and feminine masculine is not shifting or changing. That is not changing. That is going to be the heart of the show. And How can we talk about feminine and masculine and opening your heart and holding containers if we're also not talking about and acknowledging the systemic ways that people don't have containers or safety to begin with, or that people don't have the kind of love that many of us white folk have available to us with our privilege because of the communities that they're raised with and because of the income that they have and being in poor and impoverished communities where they can't afford to go to these events to learn about Tantra, 
they never even had the opportunity and maybe they never even heard about it because that's not available to them to even listen to and be be able to receive access to teachers that I have learned from. So my privilege has greatly benefited me to be able to work with the people I've worked with and to travel and to do these trainings and courses and have a podcast and have uh, have an education, how to build a business. Like I have been immensely privileged and it is my time to give back. So moving forward on the podcast, there will be more voices. We're not going to be covering racism and anti-racism on this show left and right but it's going to be built into the show whereas I will be having a different wide range of voices and that is a place I have not shown up well on this show in the past six years when I look at my audience and I look at the people I've brought on it's primarily white I mean white passing at least for the people I've brought on And that has been a huge wake-up call to me, asking myself, why? Why? And I believe I'm going to be reposting an episode that I did with Corinna Rosella. Again, she is also white passing. And that is not going to be the anti-racism episode because you can't have an anti-racism episode where two white women are talking about it. So I'm making that very clear that if you have heard that episode... Um, I just want to acknowledge that it is two white women talking about racism, so we can't even begin to scratch the surface. And it's also a great episode, so I am planning on reposting it, and I was listening to it this morning. And um, one of the things that I was saying in that episode was I wanted to bring Corinna on to talk about being anti-racist, and and we talk also about white privilege and manifestation, and I really emphasized that I brought her on because she was speaking from a place of compassion and love. And I've changed my tune on that being a requirement for anyone speaking about racism. And I'm still so grateful to have had Corinna on because she could meet me in that place, but what I've realized over the past week is that it is not black folks' job to come to us always with compassion and love when they talk about racism. And I figured that I learned that there's a term for that. It's a white entitlement where anytime you're being talked about racism, you demand that it's done a certain way. Sure. You can talk to me about racism, but it must be polite. It must be kind. It must be quiet. Don't get angry. Don't get mad at me. And in so many ways it's gaslighting. So I've been learning about how this message that I teach, and I'm such a fan of, of not gaslighting, is something that is built into our culture with white and black people, where if we're going to be talked to about racism, we demand it's done in a certain way, or we turn it around on them and say, how dare you talk to me in that way? It's not my fault. I didn't do it. And so listening to this episode with Corinna, I really zoned in on that of, oh, that's interesting how much I was emphasizing, oh, I'm bringing you on because you're so filled with compassion and love. And she pointed out so beautifully, I don't think I understood it at the time, I do now, but she pointed out so beautifully, well, yeah, I can do that because I am white passing. And it's important for us to also realize that people who are of color shouldn't have to tell us about racism in any particular way. And we'll never know as white people what their pain is like and how deep it runs And so we cannot demand that it's told us in some certain way. We cannot understand. And so moving forward, that's another thing I'm committed to on this show is 
whoever comes on this podcast of different color and different race and they have an emotion and it comes out and they have a feeling and it comes out and it may feel like anger and I say something that is quote wrong or offensive I'm gonna let that be because I cannot be committed to being good and right and also being a part of this anti-racism movement and so I'm committed to bringing on people who are allowed to feel angry and upset at racism in whatever way that they do and in no way, shape, or form is that martyrdom for white people or for me. This is truth. And this is why this podcast should exist. is for humanity. And that is the core word for me at this moment. The, the, my, my life force energy for anti-racism movements is humanity and justice and caring. So that's all I'm going to say about this. I wanted to acknowledge that because in this episode, I had recorded this before the riots, before the death of George Floyd, and I wanted to address it. And I, I do plan to repost that episode with Corinna soon. It's also on iTunes. You can listen to it if you go into the archives and expect more voices and more races and more people of color on this podcast, not talking about racism, but talking about what they love, talking about tantra, talking about feminine and masculine, but different voices with different perspectives and different insights that we need. And now let's go and chat about Mary Magdalene. everyone and welcome to episode 307 of the MBM podcast with your host Maddie Moon. Today's topic is going to be all about Mary Magdalene. Oh my goodness, I have just fallen in love with my recent studies of Mary Magdalene. I have gone off the deep end finding myself in a um, a bit of a vortex of going into the truth honestly that's how it feels in my body and my being is just this remembrance of knowing that there's something more to christianity that wasn't being revealed um and yeah if you've listened to my episode that i've done about um episode 300 shared about my my full sexuality timeline and i brought in a lot of insight into how I was raised in a Christian household. And then I also have another episode called From Religion to Spirituality. And that again goes into a deep look at my upbringing. If you've heard either of those, uh, you already know this. If you haven't heard either, then I'll just give you a little bit of insight that my background was completely oppressive and repressive. Very, 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 very patriarchal. Um, men were, I was taught that men were superior to women, that women are supposed to be quiet and obedient. And it was just the, the, 
version of Christianity many of us relate to. Um, the version of Christianity that's pretty judgmental and prejudiced and black and white and patriarchal. And about two years ago, um, well, it was it was 2015 where I really um, denounced the title of being a Christian and told my family and I solidified that in my body and my being I just knew that that wasn't the path for me it didn't feel right I knew that I knew it wasn't just a belief I knew that loving the almighty loving God she because I believe it's an energy that's both he and she it's non-gendered but it feels good for me to say she she is full of unconditional compassion and has no desire to rank human beings based off of gender or rank love like this love is okay and decent and this love is not and she has no interest in punishing people for eternal life in the underworld and hell for not saying a few words and inviting her into or him into their hearts just all of these things didn't feel right to me though and the idea of heaven and hell didn't feel right the idea of men being better than women didn't feel right the idea of gay marriages being wrong didn't feel right the idea that marriage needed to happen in order to have loving sex didn't feel right um the birds of a feather flock together didn't feel right especially considering that or I guess in the Bible it says you must be equally yoked and don't be with don't spend time with people who are not of your yolk. That didn't feel right, considering that Jesus hung out with everybody. Like so many things just did not feel right in my body. And in 2015, I let go of all of that and I said I'm now spiritual. And then a couple years after that, I ventured to Israel and it felt in my body like I had been there before. It felt like home. It just felt like, oh my God, this this ground speaks to me. And I found myself in love with Israel and Jerusalem and touching the places Jesus touched and walking the same streets in Jerusalem that he walked when he was carrying the cross and the spices and the beautiful landmarks and all the religion, the melting pot of religion, it just spoke to my body. And I knew in my being that something about religion in general was not inherently wrong. It wasn't bad. It was just, I didn't resonate with what I was brought up with. There was something about the Christianity, the patriarchal Christianity that did not feel right. I knew in my body something was missing. Church should not be a punishment. Church should not be an obligation. It should be a celebration. It should feel good. And it never felt good when I was a child because it was always God that was used against me when I did something, quote, bad as a little girl. It was always the punishment was God does not love that or God does not appreciate that or, you know, you will go to hell if you do these things. And I knew that there was something about that that was wrong. And going to Israel really helped me to, I would say, clean up some of the resentments I had towards Jesus because I had a lot. I was confusing Jesus with um patriarchal Christianity and Jesus who Jesus really was was not that Jesus was actually all about love and spending time with everybody and um, feminine being equal to masculine and to have a relationship with God the divine within your heart and and Jesus was not about having to go through the Catholic Church to gain your freedom or to receive your right to go to heaven Jesus was not preaching those things it's men who came up with that 
So one of the things I have been venturing into is the story of Mary Magdalene. In today's podcast, I'm going to be sharing what I've learned over the past month of my deep dive. I am by no means a scholar. I have not gone to school to get a master's in religious studies and divinity. There are so many incredible people who have. And I'll give a reference to a couple of those. The book that I've been thoroughly devouring and the book that I'm getting today's podcast material from that I am sharing with you is Mary Magdalene Revealed by Megan Watterson. There is also another woman named Karen King. She wrote the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. I'm also reading that right now. And then there's Cynthia Bordeaux, and she wrote another book on Mary Magdalene. And then there's one book called The Magdalene Manuscripts. I have not read that one, but many people have and really love it, and it's next on my list. But today, what I am sharing with you is the is, is a, a lot of the material is coming straight from Mary Magdalene Revealed. I'm not going to be sharing the entire book with you, but I am going to be sharing some very important important points that have changed my life and get you excited to go get this book because it's going to change your life. So to start this off, I'm going to give you six pieces of context. These are the six areas that stand out to me that I want to share with you. There's so much more to learn, but these six are for the sake of this podcast and giving you a powerful punch that doesn't take up five hours. These are the six six points that I want to cover in this podcast. Number one, Mary was not a prostitute. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. That's the one that shook me because <laughs> that's the story that most everyone was raised hearing. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. Number two, there is a book that did not make it into the Bible called the Book of Mary. Very important. Number three, there are six pages of her gospel missing and another four missing mid-chapter. So half of the book is missing. The the book of Mary begins on page seven, which I think is so divine and, and perfect as it is, but I'm so curious what was in those missing pages. There are seven powers that she highlights in her book. These powers are egoic parts of human nature that we don't necessarily set out to conquer and obliterate, but they are seven powers that we learn how to experience as human beings and combine it with love. So I'll get into that. I'm getting all into this in a minute. I'm just setting the tone for it. Number five, the most important message of the gospel of Mary is we are inherently good. We are inherently good. And number six, the sixth point that we're going to get into today is that Jesus was both fully divine and fully human. Jesus was never meant to be an idol that was put above people. He was meant to be the perfect example of a human being that transcended and united the parts of them that is human with the parts of them that is divine. All right, so let's go into number one. Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute. Mind blown. Took me quite a bit of time to actually let this message sink into my body because that is what I was raised hearing my entire life. I also knew since I was a little girl that I was named after Mary Magdalene. So it 
slightly confused me to be 13 years old and know that my name was Madeline and it's from Magdalene and it's from the Bible and it was a prostitute and I just had all these judgmental feelings about that. I was like, why am I named that? <sighs> Some other people get cool names. I'm named after a prostitute. That's crazy. And it hurts my heart to think that someone that was so loved by the holiest human being gets watered down to that kind of statement from like everyone on the world but even thinking of a 13 year old girl just being like rolling her eyes when in reality Mary Magdalene was loved more than anybody else by Jesus anybody else like do you know how powerful of a human being you have to be for the 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 entity that is fully divine and fully human to love you above all pretty freaking incredible so this is what I'll say about this number one point that Mary Magdalene was not a prostitute Pope Gregory made the statement that she was a prostitute and this took off like hotcakes. This is coming from Mary Magdalene Revealed. She has plenty on this topic right here, but this is this is the reason why. Pope Gregory decided to claim her to be a prostitute for two reasons. This fabrication, number one, undermined Mary's teaching. And number two, it undermined women's capacity to take on leadership roles. So by having Mary Magdalene, that the woman that was loved more than all others by Jesus, by claiming that she is a prostitute, it, one, undermined women's ability to lead because they're off having sex for money. They're off, their, their values and morals are skewed. And then two, it just totally obliterated her teachings so that if the book of, you know, the, the book of Mary being found was not going to be taken that seriously because, well, she's a prostitute after all, that's her moral and value. And it goes without saying that the story of a prostitute in general being loved so much by Jesus, being taken in by Jesus, being eating with Jesus and, and hanging out with Jesus. Like, that's a lovely story. It's a lovely story that validates all different walks of life and all different types of people as being worthy of love and being worthy of love by the Savior, which is such a lovely story. It's just not Mary's, as, as Megan talks about in Mary Magdalene. That story is worth looking at and being like that is beautiful there are other prostitutes in the bible that have very significant roles but it's not mary magdalene's story so we need to stop associating mary magdalene with that story because her story is wildly different and it's time that we begin to own her story reclaim her story and use her story to um be become uh, the word that's coming for me is is use use her story as a way for us to channel our own intuition our own relationship with Christ with um the divine and i am not at all claiming that i am a christian since i am doing all these studies about the real christianity my eyes are being opened but i'm still not putting on any kind of title there's a beautiful quote that's also from this book um, that Megan includes is by G.K. Chesterton, and he says, Christianity isn't a failure, it just hasn't been tried yet. And that's really what I'm starting to feel into the more that I'm learning is that Christianity really is a beautiful story. 
Uh, it is a beautiful way of life whenever you go into the heart of it where women and men are equal and love is love. And like I was saying earlier, the book, the Gospel of Mary is all pointing to one thing, that we are all inherently good. And the, the path that Mary carves for us is that every single human being has the voice of the angels and the voice of God, the voice of the divine within themselves every single human being, what she is illuminating in her gospel and the life that she lived is that the divine is always within you and you don't have to go to any other source to connect with it, which when you think about it is the opposite of what the Catholic church was saying. We'll get into this in a minute. So I also want to point out, I just found this out the other day, but in 1969, the Catholic Church made a formal apology about the story of Mary Magdalene being a prostitute and saying that, yes, it was a fabrication. I didn't know that. I think you should know that. It's pretty freaking amazing. And that wasn't too long ago, which just blows my mind. So the second point that I made, the second piece that I want to focus on is the Gospel of Mary. The Gospel of Mary the book of Philip, the book of Thomas, Acts of Thecla and Paul, and another book called The Thunder Perfect Mind. These are all books that have been fairly hidden from us. And they all point to one theme. All these books, which did not make it into the Bible, all point to one theme. The connection with God is created within. So all of these books that were written that are all saying that you can transcend through your own connection with the divine in your heart, were all told to be destroyed. They were supposed to be destroyed or hidden and not come to the light of day because they did not follow the way of life and the beliefs that the Catholic Church wanted to instill. So there was a group of monks that were all directed to destroy the book of Mary and they didn't. Instead, they buried them in urns in a cave, which is incredible. And I love to point out that you cannot be a, a, a game changer if you're also not willing to be a rebel. And a lot of people struggle with not people pleasing, but imagine if these monks decided to let their inner people pleaser win and they wanted to do good and do right and so they burned these books wow what a disservice to this world we would all still be buying into the lie that mary magdalene is a prostitute these books needed to be rediscovered in order to let go of that story for that lie to come to the surface so everyone could see oh my god that's not true because there's this entire beautiful gospel of mary book so thank god for rebels okay summon in your inner monk rebel whenever you are struggling with your people pleasing and you're at a crossroads of doing what you think is right and doing what someone else wants you to do thank god for rebels so it took a very long time for the book, uh, the Gospel of Mary to be found. I'm pulling up my dates right now that um, Megan Watterson goes over. So in January of 1896, the Coptic, which is the Egyptian language copy of the Gospel of Mary was found. In 1912, it was meant to go get printed. This is right before 
uh, a a water pipe inside of the printer broke. So the Gospel of Mary goes to get printed and then a water pipe breaks. And so that put it off, destroyed the first edition. So then in 1917, a Greek version was found also in Egypt. And in 1943, like they have this new copy. They're like, all right, we got to go take this one to get printed. And then World War II made that publication impossible. So according to my studies, the year that the Gospel of Mary was finally printed was 1955, which is mind-blowing to me. It's not that long ago. How beautiful it is that we get to go into these delicious studies in our lifetime and to know the truth, whereas people who were... um, you know, died before that time or were super stuck in their ways and not open to learning new ways of life and being open to new discoveries never really get to receive these truths. I believe that the truths still live in their bodies, but whether or not they listen to it, it is, um, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, and I have family members that would be incredibly offended if they knew it was even doing a podcast talking about this. I have very close family relatives and family members that wouldn't dream of imagining that Jesus had a lover. And part of my path, and I'm going to say part of your path, is to let yourself learn about new things and choose to believe it without making everyone else believe it around you. Trust me, I wish with all of my body and all of my heart that this this truth that The gospel of Mary is real and that Mary Magdalene was Jesus's favorite woman and love, lover, and that she had just as much voice as any man. I wish to God that this was known to everyone and believed by everyone, especially those that are in my life as my family members. I just want to shake them and be like, please believe this. But we cannot. And quite frankly, we should not. It's not our job. It's not our mission. It's not our role to force other people to believe in the truths that we, it's our journey to believe in these truths. And then when you embed these truths in your life and in your body, you will begin to radiate them out into the world. And others will feel as a byproduct, this truth. Maybe they don't realize it. Maybe they won't cognitively realize, oh yeah, women are just as capable of being leaders in the church or women are just as capable of having a divine connection with God than we are. I mean, I don't really think that that's a, a, I don't think that's a sticky point for a lot of people anymore of like thinking that men have a stronger connection with, with God than women do. But I, I don't know, maybe that is still definitely a belief, at least in the churches, I'm sure that's still a thing people are believing in. I haven't been into a Catholic church in a long time, but there's a reason that there aren't women pastors and women preachers, and we still say father when we're praying, right? So anyways, I just want to make that point clear that if you get excited about this path of um, honoring Mary Magdalene, let this be a very sacred and beautiful journey that you embark on and allow others to not agree with you. That's one of the biggest gifts you can give is by you giving yourself the gift of believing in this and loving this and making this sacred in your life without demanding everyone else around you does too. And it's a struggle. It's not easy, but you chose, you're feeling called to this for a reason. And it's part of your path to honor this belief without having to make anyone else do anything about it. Because this is not going to be a very big belief that's widespread. People still think that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Like I really didn't know this until semi-recently. And everyone has to come to 
their own moment of accepting this and it cannot be forced. So anyways, let's go back to the book of Mary. So like I was saying earlier, there are six pages missing. It starts on page seven. Right now I'm reading the gospel of Mary written by Karen King and the book is in it. The whole book of Mary is within this. She translated it so you can get that and you can read it. But the focus of the book, it's a dialogue between quote savior and um I guess you could say disciples and followers, but there is no language of father in it. Uh, The divine is known as the good and savior, but it's not father and there's no talk about men being better than women or anything like that. One of the things that is mentioned inside of the Gospel of Mary is something called the seven powers. And the more you dive into Mary Magdalene, the more you'll discover that Seven is a very sacred number to her. It is a very sacred number to Jesus as well. There are seven powers that must be attained to ascend. Now, this is the point where I want to strongly encourage you to do your own research and to get Mary Magdalene revealed. I just love this book so much because I am not equipped to be speaking on each of these powers to the level that I would like to, but I am going to share with you what I have learned. So the powers are darkness, craving, ignorance, longing for death, compulsion of rage, enslavement to physical body, and the false peace of the flesh. From my understanding, these seven powers are not parts of human nature that are meant to be destroyed or obliterated. In the work and the lineage that I do around shadow sides, these are all shadows, darkness that is literally a shadow, and ignorance, compulsions, These are parts of us from what I am gathering that we not destroy and get rid of or shame and blame, but rather we have them and we combine them with love. We combine them with the divine. We combine them with the bigger truth. We can have our own personal truth and the small truth and be in our triggers and be in our shadows, but we also fully embrace at the same time the part of us that is divine the part of us that trusts deeply in God the part of us that listens to the voice in our own heart that is the divine speaking to us this is an excerpt that is from Mary Magdalene revealed and I'm going to read straight from Megan for me these seven powers in Mary's gospel serve as the template of what it means to be human it's like being handed a roadmap for the inner terrain Here are the places as human beings we get stuck. These are the climates, the states of mind that can compel us to act in ways that are not indicative to who we really are. These are the powers that can silence us from within. All right, and I'm going to skip to another part. Mary 918's full list of the seven powers that exist within us for me is both the most humbling and the most helpful for being human. It reads like an ingredients list of the ego sorry, an ingredients label of the ego. It's not suggesting that we all contain each of these elements in equal measure, but if we can understand it, it's giving us an informative list of the powers of the ego that can potentially for hours, days, years at a time hold us captive. And I'll give just one example of what she speaks of. The first is darkness. I experience this as heaviness, depression, that feeling of being trapped or constricted, that sensation that things suck and that they always will suck, that there isn't a light at the end of the tunnel, there's just more tunnel, helpless, hopeless, and thinking I'm alone. 
The second is desire, as Cynthia Bourgeau translates it, craving. For me, desire or craving is clinging, wishing things could have been different, attachment to what I think I want. This is essentially wanting to be where I am not. Okay, so those are two examples of how you would interpret these powers. And as you can hear from what Megan is saying, that so darkness could be this feeling of depression and there is potential for something like darkness and depression to keep you debilitated forever. What we don't want to do is just get rid of these parts of ourselves. We don't get rid of our own darkness and heaviness and sluggishness and stuckness. We actually listen to it. And we listen to it by listening to the pulse of love in our heart, the connection with the divine within. When we close our eyes and we're still enough, we can realize that there is no one outside of us that can tell us something that we can't discover within. That's what I love so much about the story of Mary Magdalene, because what she is teaching is that that voice is always within you. You don't need a psychic or a teacher or a healer or a a preacher or a pastor or a parent to tell you something that you cannot hear within yourself. I'm not saying that it's not helpful to have these people in our lives to help guide us when you have chosen them and you ask them for their wisdom. But also at the same time, the path that we are taking as human beings who are devoted to love and de- devoted to, to the divine and to love above all things and the path of love is that we're also devoted to having this ascension within ourselves, which is actually a descension into the heart. We're descending into the heart and we're not obliterating these seven parts of being human, but we're combining them with love. We're listening to them. We're hearing them. We're holding them. And we're going to the voice in our heart that tells us what to do. All right. So I'm going to pause there on that point. There's so much more to say about these seven powers. And um, it's just so fascinating to go into all these powers, considering that they're actually mentioned inside of the Gospel of Mary. It's just so beautiful that we have this roadmap to understanding what the more egoic parts of ourselves are and how to combine them with the voice of love. The last thing that I will say, the last piece of context here, (laughs) it's one of my favorite, it's the argument of Uh, so many people that say, well, Jesus, no way could have loved someone romantically or had sex. But here is what Megan points out so beautifully and gave me the biggest light bulb aha moment. What made Jesus Jesus was the fact that he was fully divine and fully human. And if there was any part of Jesus that was not fully embodied and fully experienced, he would not have been fully human. If he didn't fully embody his sexuality in the part of him that is man he wouldn't be fully man he wouldn't be the perfect example of someone that encompassed all facets of himself of being the divine and also being human so as megan points out christ was never meant to be someone who was idolized as more pure better the 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 uh the way that i used to see jesus when i was young is that he was someone who didn't fall into impurities of the body like sex, which also feeds into the idea that sex is not pure and sex is dirty and sex is bad. So it all goes hand in hand. Jesus in 
the more patriarchal version of Christianity did not fall prey or get seduced or fall into those kinds of sins like sex. And that's one of those starting beliefs that so many of us have that point to the fact that sex is bad. We don't want to do sex. Jesus didn't do sex, which is so not true. Jesus fully embodied his sex. He embraced his sex. He was careful with his sex and he honored his sex as a potent, potent life force. And I believe, I haven't read this, but I believe the Magdalene Manuscripts is all about the sex magic that Jesus and Mary Magdalene partook together. I mean, you better believe that their sex was freaking magical. It wasn't just uh, one night stands. It was part of their embodiment. It was part of them connecting with the part of them that is both human using their genitals and their sexual organs, the very human aspects and, and listening to the part of them that is sexually hungry for each other, but also the divine, feeling tantric, feeling each other's hearts, feeling the spirit, feeling the connection of creation together. In Mary Magdalene Revealed, Megan writes, painting Christ as celibate doesn't make any sense. Because if there was any part of Christ that wasn't experienced fully, then he wouldn't have been redeemed. He wouldn't have been transcended. Of course he experienced his sexuality in its fullest. Jesus loved everyone equally, yes, but he loved Mary the most out of all women. He loved her uniquely. Why? Because he was fully human. It is her name that he called out first when he rose from the dead. So, out of all the women he loved he loved her the most and it was because she did not doubt she listened within she was the one that was told the lessons that others were not that is why she is the apostle to the apostles that is fact she was rehabilitated by pope francis in 2016 not too long ago to be referred to as the apostle to the apostles in the gospel of mary Peter says to her, Sister, we know that the Savior loved you more than all other women. Tell us the words of the Savior that you remember, the things which you know that we don't because we haven't heard them. Mary says, I will teach you about what is hidden from you. And she began to speak these words to them. And that is when she shares... Um, that the Savior said, a person does not see with the soul or with the spirit, rather the mind which exists between the two. And then pages are missing, and then pages are found, and then it goes into the seven powers. And then after that, Peter questions Mary and doubts Mary and says that there's no way that Jesus would have told all of these really incredible and profound truths to her and not them. And she's a woman. So he doubts her and he doubts that she's worthy to be receiving these really potent lessons and teachings. And then Andrew, another disciple, comes in and says, say what you will about these things, but I do not believe that the Savior said these things, for indeed these teachings are very strange. <laughs> so she's not believed, which is so in our bodies as women to not believed not be believed or worry that we won't be believed. I mean, so many women today are not believed. And I love this story because Mary fully steps into her her teachings of being the apostle to the apostles and shares these these 
lessons that Jesus only taught her, then she's not believed by people she trusts as brothers. And she's emotional about it. She cries. She's hurt. And I love that as well, that she embraces the part of her that is tender and yearning to be listened to instead of closing off her heart and becoming hardened and turning away and saying, fine, well, fuck you. You don't have to believe me. She opens her heart and she reveals her sadness and she reveals her pain. And then another disciple comes in, Levi, and says, Peter, you have always been a wrathful person. And I'd just like to pause there to reveal that that is one of the seven powers. So he was going into one of those seven egoic powers and saying he doesn't believe Mary and he is full of wrath in that moment. And so he was actually going into one of those after she just taught about it. Um, Okay, so Levi says, Peter, you have always been a wrathful person. Now I see you contending against the woman like the adversaries. For if the Savior made her worthy, who are you then for your part to reject her? Assuredly, the Savior's knowledge of her is completely reliable. That is why he loved her more than us. Oh, so good. Um, Rather, we should be ashamed. We should clothe ourselves with the perfect human, acquire it for ourselves as he commanded us, and announce the good news, not laying down any other rule or law that differs from what the Savior said. So he pointed out there that let's not go out and create our own laws and say what we think is right or wrong. Let's do what the Savior said to do. So he helps bring them back on track there. So let this story of Mary Magdalene inspire you in moments that you aren't believed, in moments that you aren't trusted, in moments that you doubt yourself and you look outward. Know that the voice of the divine is always within you. And going deeper into the heart is going further up. Going deeper into the heart is you accessing the heavens and creating heaven on earth. And that all these parts of you that feel egoic and can feel heavy or dark are not parts of you to turn off, but parts of you to combine with love. Get yourself some of these books. I'll make sure that I include links to them in the show notes. If you want to go deeper and you are interested in a community of women who are devoted to love above all, join us in the Sisu Society. Sisu is a Finnish word meaning extraordinary determination and grit. And that is the quality that is missing in so many relationships and in so many embodiments and partnerships because remaining open-hearted in triggering moments and in moments of resentment is not easy to do. So when you are being a feminine creature and you're in the feels and you feel your emotions, it's easy to lack the part that keeps you on a path because then it feels rigid and it feels stifling. When you're in your feminine, you want to go with the flow. You want to be juiced up. You want to go where your heart leads you. The Sisu Society is all about feeling completely feminine and embodied and in your emotion and combining it with the lens of being devoted to love above all. So you're combining your full-hearted self, which means being devoted to love, being devoted to revealing, means devoted to your truth, which isn't always pretty. Sometimes it's full of rage and wrath and darkness, all of the things we just covered. Learning how to go into your full embodiment of the feminine, and also channel it. Have it be directed. Direct your devotional heart to love. 
you can feel all of your feels. You can be mad. You can be upset. You can be elated and joyful and guilty and frustrated. And you can fully embody all of those different feelings for something bigger than just you. It's great to do it for you. And there is a bigger purpose for all of this. You can have all of those feels and show up revealing your heart day after day after day in the name of love, in the name of the divine for what you believe in. So the Sisu Society is only $19 a month. I only opened it up a couple of weeks ago and we already have 40 members. You get two calls per month with me where I will be teaching you lessons on being devoted to love and leading you through embodiment practices, pleasure practices, meditations, deep dives. Our first call was incredibly deep and so eye-opening for so many of the women because what you're going to be creating is stuff that then you did, you then take it out into the world. This is group coaching, so I will give you a lesson and something to practice and work with and think about and journal on in all the calls. And you can cancel any time. There is no commitment. So go check it out at maddiemoon.com forward slash sisu dash society. I hope you are all having a beautiful, beautiful week. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this episode. Please let us know by leaving a comment on the show notes. Or you can head on over to Instagram and see the little promotional graphic for this episode and put your comments down below in the comment section. And I look forward to another beautiful episode on the Mind Body Musings podcast with an exceptional guest coming up very soon. Until then, have a beautiful rest of your week and I'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.